0: We continue in our series in the book of Malachi. We're reading this morning Malachi 2, 7 through 3, 5. Excuse me, 2:17 through 3, 5. And if you want to use the Bible there in your seats, that should be page 802. While you find that passage, let me just remind you that Malachi the prophet opens his oracle, his speech to the people with a reminder of God's love because God knows that his people... They're whispering, they're grumbling, they're doubting. Life is difficult. They're not powerful, they're not wealthy, the temple isn't what they thought it would be, and they think the problem is with God. But he loves them, and in his love, he begins to expose the issues happening in the lives and the hearts of the people, and this morning he continues to address what he knows is in their hearts so that they can experience his love. Let's hear what God's Word says to us, His people, this morning from Malachi two seventeen through chapter 3, verse 5. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied Him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and He will prepare the way before me. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppressed the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Lord, we have heard these words, the words of your messenger, Malachi, to your people, and by your spirit, your words to us this morning. Would we listen? would we learn? And would you work in us faith and obedience that we would be used of you? Lord, I pray that I would be used of you to speak your word to your people this morning. But in all the ways that I fall short, would those be quickly forgotten that in this time you would be glorified among your people? This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God's people want justice. They want God to act. They want him to act against their enemies. It doesn't seem like they've been overtly asking it of God, but God is aware of the talk around the water cooler. They want justice. But the thing is, sometimes we need to be careful what we ask for. Just after we moved to Iowa to start working at the church in Iowa City, I told my wife Rebecca, we should get another dog. We should get a puppy. And thus began one of the most stressful periods in our young marriage. I knew a puppy meant potty training, walks, feeding, Consistency. I expected that, but I, I didn't truly know what it was that I was in for. I did not expect him breaking out of the yard and terrifying teenagers in the neighborhood. I did not expect every Sunday for Rebecca and I to worry if he had yet again broken out of his kennel, if he had yet again broken the zip ties we had used to close the kennel. The kennel. And whether we would come home again to find that he had eaten two pounds of sloppy joes or chewed up the carbon monoxide detector or eaten the pillar candle that we didn't know was missing until 12 hours later. Did not know what I was in for. God's people did not know what they were in for. That was just a puppy dog. God's people are asking for justice and judgment against wickedness and evil. The nations around them, they seem to be prospering, while the remnant of Israel, they suffer and they struggle to get by. And so they are asking, Where is the God of justice? God, show yourself, bring justice and judgment. It's a good thing to ask for. Puppy dog is a good thing. But do they fully understand what it is they are asking for? Do they understand what it will entail? Many of us may look in the world around us, maybe just down the street from us, maybe in the newspaper or in the news we read online, and we see injustice. We see the wicked seeming to prosper. We see tyranny and terrorism, and we say, we want justice. It's a good request. It's a biblical request. It's something we should pray for. But this morning, as we see the brokenness and injustice in the world around us, as we pray to God, the question we need to ask is, do we know what we're praying for? And as God, through his messenger, confronts the people who are desiring justice, he prepares them for what it will look like when justice truly comes. He reminds them and us of who the true judge of justice is. He reminds them of the cost of justice. He offers them the hope of justice. And he reminds them what the goal of justice truly is. In these few verses, in these few moments together, let us... As we cry out for justice, as we want peace, as we want righteousness to reign, to consider the judge of justice, the cost of justice, its hope, and its goal. First, the judge. The issue of justice comes to light, but only after Malachi reveals that the Lord is aware of what the people are saying. And it comes through his accusation against the people. The Lord says, you are wearing me out. They say, how are we wearing you out? How are we wearying you? Now first, let me address, can God be wearied? Is God like me, who after the fifth or sixth father from my son, am, am tired and done? I don't want to hear another word. No, God is not impatient. He doesn't have a limitation to his patience. But God uses this language of weariness to show, from a human perspective, what these types of words demonstrate about the people's heart towards God he is eternal all powerful but he reveals that what they are saying it's not wearying in terms of the number it's wearying in terms of its substance because notice what the people are saying people should tremble when they realize that God knows what they're saying about him for they start by accusing the Lord of evil Verse 17 of chapter 2 Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord And he delights in them Basically they're saying there are a bunch of evil people They're enjoying the good life They have favor, they have crops, they have money They have family, they have kids And yet we know what they're doing We know what they're saying We know what they believe in And so for them to prosper Must mean God delights in them And if he delights in them Then God must be okay with their evil Isaiah 5.20 says Woe to those who call evil good and good evil and who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter essentially they are calling woe upon God because they see in the prospering of the wicked that God's okay with it. Secondly they say where is the God of justice? Where is he? Now, in those few words, there could be a a lot of meanings here. It could say a lot of things. It might just be a lament that he has not shown himself. Where is he? We long for you. Where are you, God? A lament. It could be an accusation that he has not shown himself. There is a God of justice. Where are you? Why aren't you here now? A demand for proof that he exists in the fact that so much would seem to say that he doesn't. They want to see the God of justice. And partly what it says about this is, is what they really want is they want judgment. The, the word in Hebrew for justice and judgment, it can speak of justice in the large principle of, of upright laws and an orderly system of what's right, justice. But it also is used to talk about the judgments, the response to injustice. And they are, one hand, are saying, you can imagine, they're saying, the bad guys are getting away with highway robbery. They're enjoying the good life. We want God's judgment on those guys. And if you're not going to judge them and prosper us, are you even the God of justice? The implication seems to be that if the Lord is there, that he either does not care or is not just. The subtext is, prove you are who you say you are. If you're familiar with Scripture and the history of redemptive history, God's people are on thin ice when they tell God to prove he is who, they, who he says he is. This was the problem. God's people are delivered out of the injustice of slavery and oppression in Egypt, and they're on the way to the promised land, and they say, God, you've brought us out here to starve and to thirst and die. Don't you care about us? It's one thing to cry out to God for justice. It's one thing to cry out to God for justice over and over again. It is another thing to demand of God proof that he is who he says he is. What is at issue here is not just a desire for justice, but that the people are setting themselves up as the judge of what justice would look like. God, if you are just, that neighbor... Was always parking in that spot and always leaving his trash cans out. Wouldn't there be justice if the, the police came by and wrote him a ticket? Or that guy that cut me off on the road, if there was justice, the police would show up. Or if there is justice, the things that we we're reading in the news would not be happening. And yet, so often, what we think is justice is not. Because we are fallen, finite, and fallible men and women. And when we seek to bring about justice, it is so very often through the lens of what we want our own desires, our own values, our own self interest. And so we place ourselves above justice. How many dictators throughout history have looked at injustice or corruption in their country and said, I'm going to clean up this country? Only to replace one form of injustice and corruption with their own form. How many times have ethnic groups and minorities within a country oppressed and attacked each other, with one being victorious for a while, only for the other side, once they're in power, to turn around and treat the others the same way? Often, when we cry out for justice, what we are really demanding is to be the judge. For things to be put aright according to what we think is best. And when someone has a different view of justice or they want to be the judge, more evil and pain and injustice abounds. We need a just, that is a righteous, that is a pure, that is a true judge, one who is unbiased, one who is capable of enacting judgment. A judge who will not succumb to corruption. If we want justice, I don't doubt that there's anyone here that does to some degree. What we want is a God who enacts that justice. Someone that is not like us. Rather than saying, God serve us with justice, we need to be willing to serve justice by serving God. Israel was right that the Lord was the God of justice, but what they got wrong is that they understood justice as themselves being the judges. For if they had not been so quick to demand it, if they had kept demanding for the implementation of justice, a just and fair society, they might have wrestled with what it would cost to have such a society. And that's the thing that that God begins to reveal through the prophet here. What is the cost of justice? They're saying, God, show up. God, show up and enact justice. Malachi says, are you really ready for that? Are you really ready for the Lord to show up and bring justice? Verse 1 of chapter 3, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? You want the God of justice. Are you sure that's a good idea? Now, if you could start from scratch with perfect, unbiased men and women who have integrity, who know what love and harmony looks like, then perhaps you could have a just society. Perhaps it wouldn't cost so much, but that's not our starting place, is it? We seek justice in a just society, in a fair society, and a society for prospering on the backs of sinful, evil, wicked, duplicitous people. We wouldn't seek and demand justice so much if we already knew what justice looked like. To demand justice, though, means we need to acknowledge what it will entail. The answer to the concerns and the demands of the people is that the Lord is coming and he will enact justice. Good news, he is coming. And he's sending a messenger in preparation. Now on one hand, the language here is a bit of wordplay. I'm sending my messenger. Behold, I'm sending my messenger. What does Malachi's name mean? My messenger. What is he doing? He's preparing the people. He's telling them, hey, God is coming. But on the other hand, he's pointing to a future event when a messenger in particular prepares the way for the Lord's uh, arrival at the temple. One who is recognized when John the Baptist comes preaching repentance. Mark 1 recognizes John the Baptist as the fulfillment of this very prophecy. It quotes this passage. The one who comes to prepare the way of the Lord. And how does one prepare the way of the Lord? He removes the stumbling blocks. He levels out what's unlevel. So what prepares the people to receive the Lord? Repentance. For there are two outcomes when the Lord comes to enact justice. It's either being cleansed or being consumed. It's being purified or it's being destroyed. Those are the two options in the passage. Either God comes and he purifies the people, he purifies the Levites so that they can offer something pleasing to him, or as we see at the end of the passage, his arrival ends with the destruction, the witness against the sorcerer and the adulterer and so on. The people may be thinking, We want God to come. And what their primary thinking is, We want justice for them. And the truth is we can't have true justice for them if there's not true justice for us. And that will come at a cost. And so the messenger comes so that God's people will be prepared. Malachi speaks to the people so that they will be prepared because justice is coming and it will come with a cost. Either you will submit and be purified or you will be removed. Either way, it's going to be painful and costly. Notice the imagery here. The coming of the Lord is described like the coming of a refiner. That's one who puts precious metals into fire so that they come to the melting point and so that the impurities can be removed. We, We get this idea. That doesn't sound too comfortable to go through the fire. We might like the second one a little bit better. He comes like the fuller, the fuller soap. If you're imagining Johnson's No More Tears you have the wrong idea. This is essentially the bleach of the day. It is caustic. Either the people will be cleansed, they will be bleached, they will be melted so their impurities can go away, or they will face destruction. Either way, justice cannot come without the removal of injustice, the dealing of sin and those that perpetuate that sin. And if we want justice, we need to reckon with the injustice in our own hearts. That seems to be part of Israel's problem. They see the problem out there. They see the problem up there. They don't see the problem in here. God's people are to desire justice. We want to long for the Lord's return when he enacts final justice. But the question is, are we preparing for that justice through repentance now? Through painful examination of the impurities that we allow to stain our souls that mark us as part of the problem. Even when we are called to be agents of justice, to be forerunners of the kingdom, to be a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth, to act justly, to advocate for what is right... To defend the vulnerable, we must do so only after we have acknowledged our own need for cleansing. As Jesus so memorably put it, don't begin to remove the speck from your brother's eye until you've removed the log from your own. Sometimes we we talk about the comparative size of the speck versus the log. Let's talk about the comparative pain of having a speck in your eye versus a log removed from your eye. If we are to truly seek justice and want it for the world, we must endure the cost of admitting how much we need it. That it will come with a cost. Just in our Sunday school class this morning, we talked about how revival came about through repentance and dependence upon God, and that resulted in acts of justice and mercy teaching children, literacy, missions, and work against slavery. But those good things only truly came after God's people examined their hearts and said, we need new life within us. So justice requires us to acknowledge the true judge of justice, which isn't us. To acknowledge as we desire justice, how much injustice there is within us and others, and the cost of cleansing or destruction, and in the midst of that, to look to the hope, the true hope for justice. And in this passage, that hope is God's mercy and his provision. It's it's a bit subtle here, but notice something about the structure of this passage. First of all, there's two figures, right? There's the messenger who comes to prepare the way of the Lord, and then the Lord appears at the temple, and it uses other language that most commentators agree is another descriptor of the Lord as the messenger of the covenant. So first, the messenger comes to prepare the way, and then the Lord, who is the messenger of the covenant, comes to the temple. But also, there's kind of two stages here, right? The first thing that the Lord does when he comes among his people at the temple is he cleanses, right? He refines the Levites as silver or in gold so that they can offer righteous offerings. And then, verse 5 says, and then the judgment, that is the discipline, that is the destruction of the wicked, that's the next stage. And for God's people reading this, they might see this as two stages of one event— God arrives, he restores Israel, he purifies them, then he destroys the bad guys. But looking at it backwards, informed by the New Testament, we can see how this works out redemptively in the arrival of the Lord at the temple in Christ. Who comes to the temple that he would purify his people so that they could worship God. Notice that there is no hope here Of the people purifying themselves. It doesn't say when you get your act together, when you come out of the shower, when you come out having cleansed yourself, then God will accept your offerings. No, God is the one that comes and He provides the purification. He does this in Jesus, who purifies the temple, who corrects what the priests and the scribes are wrongly teaching, and in their place offers the perfect sacrifice of Himself to be acceptable so that when God comes to bring judgment at the last day, that we don't fear eternal damnation, but instead hope that the justice of God will not touch us in our destruction, but it has already been satisfied in Christ. That is our hope, that God is merciful to us. That is our hope that he provides for us. Verses 6 and 7, in many ways, are... A continuation of this idea. We'll look at them more next week. But notice what it says For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. He says, You are not consumed. You are not destroyed. Not because you fix things, but because I don't change, because I'm faithful to my covenant. For then it says, From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. The hope for justice is not our obedience. It's not our self cleansing. It's in the perfect priest and perfect sacrifice of Jesus making us new so that we are acceptable to God and we escape the wrath that we all deserve. This is our hope. I ask you, what is your hope for a world of justice and peace? What is your hope when the perfect judge comes that you can show your obedience, that you can show how many friends you helped? how much money you have in the bank account how how bad you used to be versus how how good you are now or how good you are compared to that really bad person over there or is it your hope that god provides for your cleansing in christ to make you pure and acceptable in his sight why do we desire justice this is the last thing why do we want this justice Why do the people hope that they get the result of justice? Is it the end of suffering? Is it vindication upon enemies? Is it so that we can experience peace and prosperity? And those are all aspects and results of justice. The evildoer punished. The enjoyment of peace and prosperity. The removal of sorrow and suffering. But when those things are the goal, when we think those things define what justice is, we'll never truly have it. Because we are meant to desire justice for only in a world where there is no more injustice, where there is no more sin and evil and sorrow, can we enjoy the presence of God. The goal of justice is the enjoyment of God because he is the God of justice. While Malachi is warning of the coming of the Lord because of the judgment on all, not just others, but Israel too, he is also preparing them because this must happen in order for the just God to come and reign among his people. Remember, the whole purpose of God's saving them from the injustice of slavery in Egypt was so that they could be his people and he their God, so that they could be together. The sending of Jesus is not just the eradication of sin so that we can live in a utopia. The eradication of sin in Jesus is so that we can live when the just king comes again. The Lord cleanses us. The Lord works justice so that an unjust people can live with a perfectly holy and just God. Peace comes from him. Truth comes from him Comfort comes from him. All that we would want from peace finds its source in the Lord God who acts justly. The day of judgment comes so the world might be made new. It might be restored so that heaven and earth could be a place where God and his people could dwell together. This is why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness we can just as easily be translated, who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. For if their hunger and thirst is for the God of justice, then he will surely give himself to them. In Jesus was the offering of that satisfaction. So as we long for justice, as we seek to act with justice as we refrain from taking vengeance for that would be injustice we do it as a seeking of the Lord we do it as an offering to the Lord and an offering of the Lord God's people are meant to act justly we're not just waiting for justice right we, we, we read together we heard together from, from Micah what does God want us to act justly And there's this reminder in the passage that God is against sorcery. He's against adultery and the oppression against women that it resulted in among them. Against those who swear falsely on their contracts so that they could cheat people. Or those who kept the money that was due their workers to enrich themselves. Or the way that they treated the widow and the orphan and the sojourner because they didn't fear God. God wants them to act justly. But not because they can offer the good effects of peace or prosperity or money so that the people who receive the blessing of that justice might see in it the reflection of the character of God, who is the God of truth, who is the God that defends the widow and the orphan and the oppressed, the God who is faithful to his covenant vows. As we seek to do these things, that means we can't do it apart from God. That while we seek what is just, as we confront anti Semitism, as we want to protect the environment that God has made, as we feed the hungry, as we advocate for the unborn and the elderly, that we can only justly do it if we do it in God. To offer justice without God is to offer ketchup without fries, or mashed potatoes without steak, or icing without cake. And we can't claim to have God among us working in us if we are satisfied with evil, sin, and injustice in our midst. If God is truly among us, we will act with justice. A desire for justice is a desire for God. As we are surrounded by people hungering and thirsting for it in some sense, we should offer the justice that will truly satisfy the God himself who came in Jesus to bear the penalty for our injustice and ope us th- and offer us the eternal peace and comfort of perfect justice. I imagine some of you forgot it was daylight savings time. Or if not you, you know someone who did. And went to bed blissfully unaware of the change in time and said, I'm gonna get seven hours of sleep tonight. And woke up and found you had eight who are dreading waking up to a still dark morning and when you woke up, the sun was beginning to peek through. You just wanted seven hours and you got eight. He just wanted to make it through another morning and the light was shining. When we seek justice, when we want what's right, God offers us not only that justice, But more than that, justice because he offers himself. When God's people wanted a king, a messiah, to get rid of the Romans, they got the messiah that would defeat their enemies, but the worst enemies of all, sin, death, and the evil one himself. Seek justice. Work for justice. But know that that justice is not in ourselves, not in our governments, not in our economics. It's only in God who came in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we long for the end of suffering, the end of sorrow. We long to be able to trust governing authorities. We long to be people of integrity, and yet none of this can happen unless you cleanse us, unless you cleanse the world and make all things new. And if our hope was in ourselves, we would be cleansed right along with everything else off the face of the universe but you offer us a place in your perfect world, your perfect kingdom in Jesus. So would you help us run to Jesus? Would you help us cling to Jesus? Would you help us to define what is good and just in Jesus? This we pray, amen.